0: Today I welcome Alex Batterson, Senior Deputy Head at Lord Wandsworth College in the UK. In this episode, I discuss school futures, inspirational school leadership, anchoring on a purpose and developing courage and perseverance in our students. How easy is it to teach purpose in schools? Yeah, difficult. Difficult because, you know, schools I think are still
1: set up In a relatively traditional fashion across the UK and community of practice session that I was just in at the Harvard Programme for Human Flourishing was talking about, you know, how can education really impact young people's lives and and enable them in turn to, to impact the world in a positive way. And that starts with purpose. It starts with, you know, working out who you are, who you're developing into, what matters to you. And I've actually got, a, I suppose, something that has, has worked for me over the years, a, a little bit of a checklist, I suppose, it starts off with a dream. You know, for Apple, it was to create a dent in the universe. You know, it doesn't have to be achievable. It's much more exciting than an aim or a mission statement, which are pretty tedious. A really sort of punching dream, you know, what really gets me going? What's my passion? You know, what do I really get out of bed for? What, what if I lift my eyes, you know, right above the horizon? Could I really dream strongly about you know, could I really think that I could possibly affect? And then underneath that, a sort of a spirit. So again, sort of four or five words, a bit of a statement, something that drives me towards that every day. For me, that's to infinity and beyond. So a bit of, bit of Toy Story stuff, but you know, something that, that sort of really fires me and and that I hold my decisions. You know, to account over. You know, am I being aspirational enough here? And then a focus, something which really supports that. And for me, that's ambition, belief, and courage. So ambition. For myself, for the students, for what their futures can be like, a belief that we can deliver on that in school and in the courage to go out and put it into practice. And then having an idea of your character, the, the character traits that, that you want to exhibit day in, day out, your beliefs, so what you hold dear as an individual, and then your greatest imaginable challenge. So, you know, when the chips are down in a month or some days, downhill with the wind behind you, you know, is there something which you, you think you might be able to achieve? And for me, that's to become redundant. So you know, to be able to operate in a in a school setting where the young people basically don't need us as adults, where they are empowered and enabled to an extent that they're able to, to get on with things and do an incredibly good job in, in whatever they're looking to do. So, you know, that's obviously a challenge that uh, to some degrees is, is probably not achievable, but that makes it really exciting.
0: There's a lot of things you covered there, actually, that I wouldn't mind just exploring a little bit further. I mean, first thing, can you please tell me about this Harvard program that you've been invited onto? describe what it is, who else is invited, and what kind of things are you trying to talk about, solve, and change?
1: It's a community of practice that anyone can join. Normally, individuals who join it are really interested in, in the sphere of flourishing, which comprises of well-being and character amongst other things. And it's a real sort of focal point for people interested in that field to come together and discuss how we can better enable human flourishing in the world and obviously my the sort of interest that i bring to the table is my experience in in education so as part of that community of practice i chair the educational futures group and i'm currently studying for a doctorate at bristol university and and that's a, that's a focus for me where where my thesis is particularly embedded at the moment is that that sphere of educational futures so Really challenging the status quo at the moment in schools, which is around preparing young people for their futures, you know, as if we know what the futures are going to hold. And, you know, we as adults are saying, look, you know, this is the future, we're going to prepare you for it. And also, I think that treats young people as, as quite sort of passive potential beings. You know, actually, it's about reframing things for me and it's to, to create their futures. And, and so, making sure that we're challenging that educational status quo, we're viewing people, young people, as, as active agents of change as young beings who, who are interested in the world, who want to act with purpose and passion and courage, who wanna make a difference and by affecting the present, you know, change the future. That's something which I think is is sorely missed in, in education today is is absolutely needed. And certainly a lot of the research I'm doing with young people at the moment, you know, they're really keen to get support in that. You know, they want it to be front and centre in their education. They want to be supported in how they can grow their influence, how they can grow their agency how they can uh, develop themselves as, as agents of change and, and to have a lasting impact on on themselves and the people in the world around them. So
0: that's what we're focused on in, in that Educational Futures group. It's really exciting. It sounds fascinating. I mean, how much of it is is job-focused and how much of it is purpose? Because they aren't necessarily linked. As adults, we kind of often... Boil down to, you know, I need a purpose, but the purpose almost feels like it's a job. I need to do this job that fulfills me. But we look at education now and we look at the jobs that don't exist and what skills do our kids need when they come out of education. But could you tie the two or could we unlink the two and say that actually purpose should not have anything to do with the future of work?
1: I think us sort of thinking, looking at trends, there's a growing research field in anticipation studies which uh, we're just doing some partnership with the Harvard group, with, with UNESCO and the sort of anticipatory studies and the future of education, work there that's just come out of their brand new report actually on, on the future of education, which is really interesting in itself. I'd, I'd advise everyone listening to go and have a look at that. Looking at that sort of anticipatory futures of work piece, I think is certainly one thing that, that educators and young people can do. And I think, you know, obviously when young people leave school or even while they're in school, or what have you, they can start up jobs, they can be involved in the world of work. Of course, you know, individuals need to earn some money. I I think there are probably certain different spheres that individuals need to reflect on and look at when they decide, you know, what next, you know, what am I going to get myself into? And I don't know, Simon, whether you've come across, and I believe it's termed uh, ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I, it's a, a Japanese concept that looks at, you know, actually, what can I make money in but what I really care about? How can I affect the world? And, you know, are there jobs where I can do that? And so it looks at sort of what next? What can I involve myself in in the world in a sort of really holistic sort of way that tries to combine all of that? Because I, I don't think it's, it's one or other. I think, I think people have got to look at it in the complex way that it is, you know, who am I as a person? What effect can I have on the world, because that's important? You know, what jobs are out there? What can I, I can sort of, you know, make a wage in? And let's explore that. And let's see whether there are, you know, whether there are new things that might emerge from that exploration that I had not thought about yet, that other people haven't thought about yet. And that's why, you know, I think it's really important that young people embrace that complexity and talk to a lot of different people, get mentors, talk to people who have experience in different fields, and explore all the art of the
0: possible. I've talked with other podcast guests about, you know, whether it's mentoring, whether it's training, work experience comes up a lot. And I kind of go back 40 years, 35 years. I'm pushing myself a bit too, too old at this point. I remember there were so few opportunities. They were the typical ones. I got to work in, in a bank or I could go to an accounting firm or guess what? I could go and sit in a lawyer's firm are we doing enough? And what are your thoughts on the work experience side of things? So to allow our kids to dream big and to think that they can do anything, we need to be able to give them this this shape of possibility that aren't constrained by our own limited experience and probably stunted views as adults, because we've already been programmed to go, look, this is probably it. I mean, are you doing anything at Lord Wandsworth College in regard to kind of the work experience to talk about the futures and opportunities to get these young men and women thinking bigger?
1: We certainly are. We, we've got ahead of futures here, thinking about jobs that already exist, university courses that draw on young people's passions and enable them to explore what they're really interested in life, jobs that will will facilitate that, opportunities for work experience. We sort of deep dive into that absolutely here at school. And I think there's also a, you know, a challenge for educators everywhere in regards to realising the lens that we're looking at work experience through. It's a lens that, you know, only has our experience to date, that carries the historical implications of that, the traditions, the status quo's. And I think it's really important when we're thinking about the future for young people to try and you know, yes, talk to them about that perspective, but also empower them to play around with possibilities, to be really playful in regards to what they could do, how they could go about exploring opportunities. And so, I think that could probably be done on, on different levels. As an amazing new university that that's been set up, and we're speaking to to someone there actually about a sort of interdisciplinary curriculum that would be really interesting to to talk further about in in due course, but. Um, The London Interdisciplinary School is a university brand new in London, which has set up a combined honours degree and actually most recently a master's course, interdisciplinary work and real world challenge, modern, contemporary, relevant to young people. You know, so for example, working with with big organisations to tackle big problems that are real and that, that exist now and that will affect young people in the future comes back to that that premise of of enabling young people to create their futures I I think that's really important those sort of skills so I think enabling young people to question typical jobs and traditional routes and pathways I think is really important alongside presenting them with those typical options and, and routine traditional pathways I think enabling young people to create their own pathways and that comes down to the education that we're providing young people with you know, the sort of concept of a modern day MBA, almost like a sort of maker of brilliant advancements, you know, working with young people to, uh, you know, it sounds a little bit corny cool that, but just as a as a bit of a concept to sort of generate some thinking, you know, enabling young people to create a to startup with a storytelling focus, you know, develop their RSE, the ability to talk passionately, confidently and fluently about something they really believe in. You know, I think there's a really awesome platform, I think called Escape London, which is looking at the top 100 companies that are focused on sustainability and planetary good and looking at those companies and sort of putting a bit of a focus on on how work experience can be enabled in those sort of fresh thinking, contemporary, highly relevant and much needed areas of, uh, of employment as well. So I think we've got to be really creative with young people and how they think about the opportunities. So they've got the world at their fingertips in in regards to making decisions about
0: stuff. And it's about real world problem solving. And I think the American private schools do this incredibly well. They actually embed in full term wide problem solving. And, you know, it's all under the banner of service. You know, what are you going to do to give back? You know, it's disguised as going in there and and challenging your curiosity, learning all interdisciplinary skills and solving whether it's a real world problem, but it's localised. So they get out there, but it can't just be work experience for two weeks or a week because it's, you know, you're going to go in there and you're treated not as someone who's there to really solve a problem, but they're just to kind of abide by time, get out of it at the end of it, get a signed sheet. And maybe I've enjoyed it working in that firm or not. But, you know, what I've seen on other parts of the world, they give a lot more time and embed it into what they're doing at school. Do you think this is a step too far in? independent education here in the UK yet or are we starting to see that kind of termly service solution model being adopted anywhere?
1: It's a question about integrating time I think and the degree to which educators in independent schools can integrate that sort of futures thinking with young people uh, within everything else that goes on in the daily life of school. We here think that it's really important, I think it's really important on a personal level to engage young people routinely in in that sort of thinking and expose them to those sort of opportunities, whether it's during holiday time, but but also I I know of several schools here and, and, and elsewhere where, you know, young people have an opportunity to to go and spend real time in real establishments during term time. And you know, that's a really interesting option too.
0: I really enjoyed reading your article on inspirational school leadership. You described it as an approach that empowers school communities to create their own futures. In schools, is there ever a battle between who leaders want their staff to be to fulfill their vision and who their staff want to be themselves? I think there is. And, you know, Simon, I
1: think that's great. I think it's it's to be encouraged. I think it shows individuality and, and openness if there are those challenges. You know, a community's journey, I think, needs to be collaborative. It needs to be shared. Uh, there needs to be appropriate compromise, you know, leaps of faith, trust. Now, I think a leader has got to ignite the spark in individuals, uh, raise their self-awareness if necessary, and then enable them to identify what really matters. And that, I think, is where leaders have a responsibility to really enable the people in the organization to think carefully about this stuff, to really reflect on what matters to them. And I think for a leader, it's then also about being authentic enough to share what really matters to them and then explore the ground in between. And I think once mutual understanding is established in that way, uh, relationships are nurtured and really developed. You know, I think once people feel loved, valued and understood, which is incredibly important in an organisation, however tough that, that might be, and it's, it's goodness me, it's tough, that sort of compassionate way of leading, then I think influence can really take shape. And, you know, that's where you see organisations start to move mountains.
0: And you've got to carve out time. I know certainly in my own organisation, we tend to fill, every minute of every day with lots of task-based stuff and when you want a growth mindset and you want to be able to develop the individuals to grow within their role, you have to commit the time. How do you go about creating time in an already kind of busy school schedule?
1: I think on a personal level and then in relation to encouraging colleagues to do the same,
0: you know, schools are inherently
1: full of, of firefighting, of reactionary measures as well as you know well thought through and planned proactive sort of tactics and however well planned they are you know i know particularly in my role uh, you know you can sort of see situations that, that that appear that you know right this is a fantastic opportunity to to do this or that and that then sort of trump something which you might have had in the diary for a while you know actually it's a discipline you know a real focus and commitment to making sure that you plan ahead and, and get that time in the diary. And to some degree, you, you make sure that that very few things budge routine commitment to thinking about that strategic vision and planning and challenging the status quo and thinking about where the organisation can go next, where your department can go next. And that's really important. And so there's a real, I'll come back to it, those three words, I think, mean, focus, commitment and discipline required to make sure that that very important time is kept sacrosanct and everyone's on board with that concept.
0: I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. You also wrote, we live in a, a VUCA world. I don't know how I'm saying it around, but I mean, it's a VUCA world. The job of a leader is to turn a volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world into one that is vibrant, unreal, crazy and astounding. I love the sound of this, but it sounds like quite a feat to achieve. How do you and schools go about this? You know, it does.
1: Sound a little bit uh, ethereal and, and crazy, but, you know, I, I think I think that's cool. I think a lot of success is driven by mindset. You know, I believe in being incredibly positive and optimistic and not disingenuous. Uh, you know, people need to hear reality, but you've also got to, to be inspiring in the way that you work with people and, and talk with people. And, you know, for me, I mentioned it before, moving people from that volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world that we live in. Bringing their eye line up to reframing situations, to igniting their passions and potential. You know, I think every leader needs their ABCs, their ambition, belief and courage. I think that's really important that we constantly reflect as leaders on our ambitions, on our belief in terms of, of enabling those ambitions to become reality and then the courage to just relentlessly work on making that happen. Big believer in radical optimism as well, just, you know, the fact that it always works out, you know, just constantly reframing, you know, constantly making sure that we're in positions where we believe it can be done. We've mentioned purpose quite a lot in this conversation, Simon, and I think that that remains incredibly important in life um, and incredibly important in the success of schools and the success of school leadership. You know, individual and collective purpose, you know, has to be explored. It has to be well-defined. It has to be articulated and it has to be routinely talked about. What are the key strands, the key things that are absolutely vital for the school day in, day out, you know, on an operational basis, but also on a strategic basis, you know, what, what's the sort of two or three things that float to the surface that can, you know, move us from, you know, sort of flatline line futuristic. And, and that's, that's really important to identify those and to focus on those. Focusing on tactics ahead of strategy, I think is really important, you know, and that concept of of leaders making things happen. And I talked in that article you referenced about earlier on about the sort of three things, assess, decide, and execute. And again, inspired by that book I mentioned too. Now, a lot of typical leadership you know, involves a lot of time being spent on assessing the situation, looking at data, you know, deciding you know, what to do, and then a very small amount of time executing it. But actually, you know, really inspirational leadership, I think, it, it flips the other way. You know, you want to try and create systems that enable you to assess a situation very quickly, enable you to, to make a, a quick decision, and then just immerse yourself 70, 80% of your day in the tactics that make that happen in, in execution. And, you know, leaders make things happen. We get things done, take responsibility for things and, and do what's right. And that execution piece is really important. I think a couple more things on this point, if I may, sort of compassionate leadership. I think that's incredibly important. You know, being really kind in the way that you work with people is incredibly important. And I don't think any leader should ever lose sight of that. And then a culture. Again, we've mentioned some of these words, I think, but trust, compassionate leadership can enable people to to really feel like a family, as well as sort of performing like a team. I think that's a, a useful concept enabling people to take risks and, and a create sort of culture of psychological safety, I think that's important. So there'd, there'd be some things that, you know, some some sort of practical concepts, I think, that can enable us to lead our people into the future with sort of spring in our step.
0: Yeah, some really, really great words. And I can see already that, you know, you do absolutely feel passionately about this kind of leadership. It is about people, it is. And it's funny when, when you kind of look at the young men and women that we're, I always talk about stewarding them right this is this is our role it, it is to role model and guide, and I do think we fall short as adults because we're a little bit stuck in our ways. It needs shining lights like you who want to shake it and change it and do the right thing. You mentioned we're about being relevant and fit for purpose, absolutely you know, and education is not, so we need to kind of come up with new ideas in which do we we do challenge the real foundations which education needs to be built back on purpose. I talk about, um, with my kids, you know, all I want with my four kids when they become adults is they're happy, confident, and they're curious. I don't really, you know, care what they go and do, where they go and do it. But without those three things, they can't really achieve much because they will not have a grounding by which they can go off and try something new. But we'll see how that works out. Perseverance. I know that Lord Wandsworth's motto means perseverance conquers. And in the shadow of the last two years, Courage and perseverance probably sits at the heart of what every person on this planet has had to go through. How important has it been for school leaders to model that behaviour? And have you found that kids themselves have grown and shown this level of perseverance?
1: So courage I think is at at the heart of compassionate leadership. It's at the heart of connecting with people. Because courage isn't just about moral and ethical courage you know, of taking charge and doing what's right. It's also about the courage to, you know, lead with transparency, lead by being open, sharing, reflecting. I think being authentic and honest. These are all words that are that are banded around in relation to the concepts of leadership and quite right too. They're really important. And so the courage to say, you know, lockdown was incredibly difficult. For us as teachers, you know, for educational leaders across the world, for young people, for parents, for being open about that, you know, not being afraid to talk to colleagues about the fact that you know things are difficult, and you know, hoping that that gives them the freedom to do the same, to open up, and to say, "All right, boys, well, it's okay that in a really high-performing organisation, people can find it difficult because you know, goodness me, teaching is it is challenging, hugely so," and so I think. It's been really important for for school leaders to persevere and to stick at it and to be optimistic. And I think there's, a, there's been a, a wonderful opportunity actually to model the sort of behaviours that get you through tough times. You know, yes, admitting times are tough, I think, is really important. But also there's that balance between, you know, right, guys, let's pull our socks up and get on with this. We know it's difficult and let's go. Uh, And here are some opportunities now to talk about how difficult this is and how actually might we be able to make it easier and let's have open conversations about this. So I think that's, you know, the pandemic has provided us with a wonderful opportunity to role model all of that as educational leaders. Also asked about students. I think it's done the same for students the world over. I think it has, you know, shown them how important personal connection is which every parent who's asking their young person to, you know, bring their eyes up from their smartphone or every every so often will, you know, be really glad to hear. But I, I, I think that has. That that's done something for, for young people to you know, to, to show them goodness me. I'm I'm really enjoying being back in school now in you know, in the vast majority of cases, you know, across the world because, you know, I get to see people, I get to interact with people and that's that's really important for me as as a as a flourishing young person.
0: You're riding the wave of driving quite a bit of change within your own school. You're seeing the success of that. Anybody looking in will go, wow, that looks pretty easy. But driving change isn't easy. What has been the hardest thing about driving this level of leadership change within the school and even with yourself? Driving change
1: is the leader who's trying to enable it and also the staff who who, who are having to live with it. I think that the hardest thing is thinking about the pace of that change, you know, the emotions that change brings up. Because I do think that we should at least be questioning the status quo, you know, challenging ourselves, is there another way? And, and in the vast majority of cases, there, there might not be. And, and actually, right, okay, let's stick with what we're doing. In a lot of cases, there might be, you know, we get to a situation where we might be looking to change lots of things. But if we do that all at once, you know, it'll be far too much. It'll unsettle people. It'll make people feel uneasy. It'll make people quite naturally feel scared. You know, the individuals within the organization that change is going to be affecting and also for the individuals trying to drive that because, you know, leadership is, is an immensely, you know, emotional journey. Uh, because if you do it well, I believe that it is, you know, that concept of, of engaging people and connecting with people emotionally, really understanding how they're feeling the journey. That's so important, and I think is, is the trickiest part. So deciding when to put our collective foot to the accelerator with change, deciding where to sort of direct that accelerator, to think about uh, you know the priorities for change, and to think about you know who gets to feed into those priorities for change. Because you know we're a big believer here at, at LWC, and I know I certainly am personally too with my research hat on of of the benefits of of speaking to young people and and listening to young people and you know, as well as staff and as well as parents. So there are lots of different stakeholders in a school and and in the lives of a young person. It's important, where possible, to gather opinion and to think about how best to move forward with that change, in what area, at what pace, with who, how, when and those decisions I, I think because you have the privilege of affecting people's lives. That challenge is a big one. That responsibility is is a great.
0: Was it a hard sell, pushing it up the leadership and then down to all the staff in terms of you know empowering this way of driving educational futures?
1: We're hugely lucky here with with our staff that uh, they're a very forward thinking, forward looking bunch of professionals who you know also happen to be wonderful people. We're incredibly fortunate here. And so there are conversations that routinely happen, you know, where we question the direction where we're going in, where we want to make sure that we're, you know, we're going at an appropriate pace and, and, and in the right direction. And so sort of healthy conversations, which make sure that we end up getting it right, as right as you possibly can within the complexity of, of the sphere within which we're working. It's always a, a challenge, leading change, and it's always a you know, a, a joy to, to work with people who get it and want to explore it and are open to it and and want to want to find out more and want to come on that learning journey with you because ultimately, again, it might be a little bit of a cliche, but the leader is is always learning too. They have got to be. They've got to show that humility. They've got to learn because if they don't, you know, they won't be doing the, the community a, a service at all. So it's certainly been a you know and continues to be you know, really joyous to work with with staff and, and students and, and parents here. And, you know, I, I don't say that lightly. It's um, you know, it's, it's, it's a real privilege to be in the position that we're in here. To be
0: honest, is it easy to bottle up all the amazing things that you've done and implemented at LWC and roll it into another school?
1: I think every context, every school is different. Uh, you know, I know from my, my with my research hat on. You know, the concept of sort of best practice that you know this particular intervention will will work in every setting. I mean, that that is. Sort of frowned upon by by academics the, the world over. So I think there are conversations, you know, like this one and, and the thousands of others that go on between educational professionals, hopefully on a daily basis, that look to tease out areas of possibility and things that could happen in schools that will enable positive momentum for the community and most importantly the young people. I don't think there's any sort of toolkit. That can be sort of taken from one environment and rolled out in another. It's very much about continuously learning all of the stuff that I've spoken to you about today, I think, in terms of the relationship with the community and, and then assessing the community that you're in, uh, assessing where they are, their history, what they believe in, uh, their own context, the nature of all the stakeholders that they have in the school, because you know it's really important within any sort of leadership practice that your specific to the community that you're leading and the environment that they're in. And I, I, I think that, that
0: sort of trumps everything. There were a number of other questions we were going to talk about, about cricket, about philanthropy, but actually talk about futures, kids' education, completely trumps all of that because I think it's such a, a relevant and an honest chat we need to be having. We've covered people, place, purpose, futures. It's been fantastic to speak to you. Carry on the great work. And I can't wait to share this on the podcast. I really appreciate the time
1: and the space to. To talk about this stuff, Simon, and um, you know, hopefully that uh, you know generates some thinking with other, other people who are thinking as hard about all this stuff as we are, and I'm sure finding it uh, just difficult. So again, if, if anyone ever wanted to reach out and, and, and chew the fat with me, then more than welcome. Thanks again for the opportunity. I really appreciate it.
0: You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.